Let's pray. Father, as you have given me charge to proclaim your word, as it has been read, and now as I seek to proclaim it faithfully, I pray that you would um, help me, and I pray that you would also help my hearers uh, open the eyes of their hearts that we might uh, see and receive and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I won't do it, but I'm tempted to ask for a show of hands of those who did not remember that this particular miracle was recorded in the Gospels. It doesn't get the recognition or register in the memory banks as many of Jesus' other miracles. And this is a pretty big miracle. In fact, it is the first time that Jesus raised anyone from the dead in the Gospels. But when we think of Jesus raising uh, the dead, the resurrection of Lazarus, or the resurrection of um, Jairus' daughter, come more readily to mind. But this miracle of raising the poor widow's son back to life was rather pivotal in Jesus' ministry. Uh, We see in verse 11 that the crowds were growing. In fact, it says they were very large. And they were following him from town to town. Verse 11, soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. We don't know where he was prior to being in Nain. Nain's about uh, 20 to 25 miles uh, southwest of Capernaum. So it may have been a couple of days. He may have stopped in other towns along the way. But there's this great crowd that is following our Lord Jesus. And then as he approaches the gates of Nain, in addition to the great crowds that were with Jesus, there was a considerable crowd that was present for a funeral procession that happened to be uh, taking place at the time Jesus was walking uh, up to the city. Verse 12, And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold... um, A a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And so there were many, many witnesses to this miracle of this man being raised from the dead. And then, therefore, after this miracle... Because there were so many people that witnessed uh, what had happened that the whole nation began to take notice. Verse 17, and this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You know, I would think that it would be easy to preach a sermon on a passage where Jesus raises the son of a widow back to life. But I must tell you, this has been an extremely difficult um, sermon to prepare because the details leading up to this miracle 
are inexpressibly uh, heart-wrenching. The man who died was the only son of a widow. Death had claimed her husband, and now it had, re- it had returned to carry away her only son. This lady is now alone. It's hard to imagine her grief. In the ancient world, there was no life insurance, no social security, no safety nets or, or social safety nets except for the family. And now her husband's gone, her only child is gone, nobody to provide for her, she would likely become destitute. In looking at the broad circumstances this woman faced on, on this grim day, we must no, not overlook the anguish of losing a child. Is there anything more painful than the death of a child. Only parents who have suffered such a loss can testify to the depths of the agony. In my research, I found several testimonials of Christians who had lost children, but who had trusted God through the grief. But their their statements were so painful to read Uh, that I found it little value in relaying their experiences on to you in this sermon. Many in our congregation have lost children, most through miscarriage. And I hope as we move through this passage that I can, through the Scriptures, bring some renewed hope and encouragement as we examine the compassion of Christ toward this bereaved widow. But first... Before we look at the compassion of Christ, I must remind us all that death is a reality that we all will face. As Jesus uh, drew near the town gate, he came upon this funeral procession. And for all our scientific and medical advances that that have been made uh, over the past 2,000 years, we still have to go along in funeral processions. We still have our own funeral processions. Uh, Death is still a grim certainty for us all. It's as if death is stalking us. Each day, it draws nearer. It's impossible to outrun death. Some of us may not live to see 2021. Several of us might not be here to ring in 2030. None of us are guaranteed to see tomorrow. And I'm sure this widow in our passage felt as if her son had died before he should have. This great fact of death, of which none of us know when it will come, must be faced with with preparation before it arrives. To know it will arrive at an unknown hour, but to ignore it is foolish. Charles Spurgeon says, "He he, He who does not prepare for death is more than an ordinary fool. He is a madman, 
Elsewhere, Spurgeon says, I should like you to be able to think of death, that that he is afraid of solemn things has probably, or he that uh, is afraid of solemn things has probably solemn reason to be afraid of them. Frankly, to be prepared to die is to be prepared uh, to live. If you are prepared to die, you're ready for anything. To be ready for eternity brings our life into focus. It gives us wisdom beyond what other people might have. To be ready for eternity shines a bright light on wise paths that we should take. What's really important becomes that much clearer to us. Now, I'm not saying that we should look forward to death with eagerness. Death is an enemy. Death came into our world because of sin. Death is a debt that we pay as the wages for sin. Christ does not rejoice at at our death or at the sight of death, rather, he is moved to deep compassion. Look at verse 13 again. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. He's not indifferent to death, just the opposite. Because he experienced the death of loved ones himself while here on earth. He knows what grief is like. He knows our suffering. He hears our cries of anguish as we miss our loved ones. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Christ's compassion For this poor widow is a promise for anyone grieving the death of a loved one or who is mourning the loss of a friendship or weeping over one who is deeply missed. Jesus cares for each suffering soul. If you are experiencing grief, if you are mourning the loss of a loved one, Jesus has compassion for you just as he had compassion for this poor widow. J.C. Ryle says that Jesus, Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, mighty to save, but the Son of Man, able to feel. But Christ did not come here to earth simply to sympathize with us as we grieve over the death of our loved ones. He came to reverse the effects of death. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, Then he came up and touched the bier, and the, briar, the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. He came to reverse the effects of death. You know, the shock that must have gone through this crowd when Jesus touched the bier. According to the Old Testament law, anyone who touched the place of a dead man 
or dead person became ceremonially unclean for seven days. But our Lord Jesus is the Lord of life. Uh, He is not corrupted or contaminated by death. Far from being contaminated by death, Jesus came to reverse its effects. The dead man sat up and began to speak. (laughs) So the shock that went through the crowd when Jesus touched the funeral beer was replaced then by fear. Look at verse 16. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Surely they were thinking of Elijah and then Elisha, who raised uh, to life uh, widows and children who had died. And they are thinking, well, here's Elijah, here's Elisha. They were aiming a little low. However, I do think that they were closer to the truth when they said God has visited his people. They just didn't know how true that statement really was because Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, who came and visited his people. He came here to earth, took on flesh as we have flesh in order that he might go to that awful cross, pay for our sins by his death on the cross, and then rise gloriously from the dead three days later, in order that he might be the Lord of life, that he might be the resurrection and the life, that he might reverse the, the effects of death, that we might have life through him. However great the fear of that crowd when they saw that, that, that dead man sit up on the bier and begin talking. Can you imagine the joy of that mother when her son sat up? At the end of verse 15, it says that Jesus gave the man that he raised from the dead back to his mother. Let me read it again. Verse 15, And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. I almost overlooked that um, little phrase, and I'm glad that I, I ended up seeing it. You know, this is just a foreshadowing of the joy that we will have when we are united or reunited with all the people we love in Christ who have gone on before us. People that you are missing deeply now, grieving over because they are not here to talk to you when you want to talk to them. We will be reunited with them. The Lord Jesus, here in this passage, gave her son back to his mother, to remind us that our Lord Jesus is going to return to us, our loved ones who went ahead of us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom are are you waiting to greet in glory? Because that day will arrive. Being raised from the dead and receiving eternal life is only just a byproduct 
of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Only a byproduct. Being raised from physical death into eternal life is preceded by a spiritual resurrection into spiritual life. Without a spiritual resurrection into spiritual life, you will not have a physical resurrection that leads to eternal life. There's a riddle I like to tell. If you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you die once. What does that mean? Well, the answer is, if you're born once into this life in Adam, you are born under the condemnation of sin. Therefore, you are subject to physical death and spiritual death. Born once, you die twice. To escape spiritual death, you must be born a second time. So you're born physically, and then you're reborn spiritually in Christ, and you only die once physically. You must be reborn spiritually. Are you here this morning? Have you been reborn spiritually? Have you entrusted yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life? Has your nature been changed from one who is at war with God to one who loves God and trusts Him? The second birth takes place as we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ. When we entrust ourselves to Him, we receive all His benefits that He has promised to us. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you have been born physically and then reborn spiritually, then you will only die once. Physical death becomes a friend that ushers you in to God's eternal and ever-blessed presence. And then you'll live forever and ever and ever. And when you have reached the end of eternity, you'll realize that you still have eternal life to go with God forever and ever. Unbroken fellowship. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears. With your loved ones who have gone ahead of you in Christ forever and ever and ever. First John 5, 11 and 12 could not be any clearer. John writes, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever believes in the son has life. Let me read that again. Whoever believes in the Son has life. And then the verse ends by saying, Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Death for the Christian is not the end of life. Jesus raised this son of this poor widow to life to teach us exactly that, that death is not the end of life. If we are in Christ, we possess eternal life now. Even though we should not yearn for death, we need not fear it either. If you belong to Jesus Christ, when you close your eyes in death, 
you will open them immediately in the presence of God. And your body will not forever remain in the grave. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are more sure of your body rising from the grave than you are that your body will rise from the bed tomorrow as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given poor sinners like us life, and not only life, but fellowship with God Almighty forever. We thank you that you did not come to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for us. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and lift up the downcast. Lord, I pray that you would bring joy to those who are grieving, remembering, helping them to remember that our Lord Jesus raises the dead to life in himself. We ask in his name, amen.